So uh, if you were here last Sunday, you'll remember we began a sermon series that we're going to follow throughout the season of Lent called Journey to Jerusalem. The idea with this series is to visit some of the places that Jesus visits in his ministry and in his adult life as he heads towards the events of Jerusalem, the events of Holy Week, which we, of course, are aiming ourselves towards in this Lenten season. As it happens, members of this church, as well as others from our community, traveled to many of these places. Just last year, in May and June, we spent two weeks in the Holy Land, in Israel and in Jordan. And so each week, before we visit the biblical text for that place, we're going to hear from some of those travelers who will come and share a bit about that place through their eyes and through their experiences of being there in these times and in these days. And so this week we visit Nazareth, having been in the wilderness with Jesus last week and stopping at Masada, that fortress in the middle of the Judean desert, the Judean wilderness. We travel this week to Jesus' hometown and to the place where his birth was first announced to Mary and to the world, Nazareth. And as it happens, the traveler this week happens to be related to me, my spouse and wife, Erin Dyer, who uh, was a great joy for me to have her to travel with us this past summer. And so it's a great joy now to welcome her uh, to share about our experiences in Nazareth. Good morning. Nazareth is a hilly city about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the largest Arab city in Israel and is often referred to as the Arab capital of Israel. In the Christian tradition, we know Nazareth as a special city where Mary received word that she would bear God's son. It's also often thought of as Jesus' childhood home. While being immersed in Christian history and holy sites in Nazareth, we were also lucky enough to experience the festivities of Eid. This is a Muslim holiday that marks the end of Ramadan. By day, we were seeing holy Christian sites, and by night, we are experiencing the joy and energy of a people celebrating the end of a month of fasting. During Ramadan, um, Muslim people fast from sunup to sundown, and I know I would certainly be celebrating the closing of that. So at nighttime, we would go out into the city and we would hear celebratory tunes and smell delicious foods. And it was a really special time to be a part of such a unique holiday of which I knew very little about before going to Israel. One of the sites we visited while in Nazareth was the Church of the Annunciation. And like many special places in the Holy Land, the traditional site of the Annunciation has seen many churches come and go. The modern two-story church of today was completed in 1969. It was during this most recent demolition and careful excavations that revealed many ancient Naz um, pieces of Nazareth, including cisterns, caves, and homes. Architect Giovanni Muzio designed a church that encompasses both the ancient and the new. On the lower floor, you will see a very old cave or grotto that is traditionally believed to be Mary's home. Surrounding the cave are pieces of ancient churches that were built there over the centuries to honor this special place. On the second level, you will find a modern, colorful sanctuary with an amazing dome ceiling. 
The second floor of this church is home to the largest Catholic church in the Middle East. While I found the grotto and ruins very interesting, it was the second floor that really made me think. On the walls surrounding the sanctuary, as well as on the walls outside the church, you will find mosaics of Mary and baby Jesus. Countries from all around the world have donated mosaics representing their cultural perspectives of the Annunciation. Each mosaic offers a diverse cultural perspective of, of how people around the world envision God being made flesh. If you were to walk along these walls, you would see ab abstract mosaics, mosaics with many bright colors, and some with only a couple of colors. You would see mosaics made from precious stones, and some made from common everyday materials. My favorite was the Japanese mosaic, depicting Mary and, G and baby Jesus wearing beautiful kimonos made of pearls. As I looked at each of these mosaics, I was struck by the diversity, but I was also struck by the sameness of truth that each picture offered. We are each made in God's image, as was Jesus. What better way to feel and see this amazing gift than through the eyes of people different than me. While in the Holy Land, I experienced many moments of uncertainty and questioning. Among the many things I learned on this trip, one lasting impression was that there is so much I don't know. I have lived, lived a relatively small life, spent in comfort surrounded by people that know me and that I know. But I believe that God has created this beautifully diverse world so that we might better know him and be awestruck by his creativity, power, and love. In our New Testament reading today, Jesus is rejected in his hometown. He is literally pushed out because he is different and because he is doing something new and unexpected. People then, like people today, often do not feel comfortable with differences. We are scared of the strange and the foreign. But the question is, how will we respond as followers of Christ. When Mary was confronted with amazing and seemingly fantastical news that she would bear God's son, she did not run or hide or criticize. She said, I am your servant. May we be open to the amazing diversity and unexpected opportunities and surprises that God offers to us today. May we see God reflected in each person in this room as well as in all those people outside these walls. Thank you.
Our second reading this morning is indeed one when Jesus is in Nazareth. So friends, let us listen now for a word from God. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Is this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But as he walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O holy God, calm us this morning. Still our minds and open up our ears so that we might hear you speaking. Open up our hearts and let something within us be changed as we seek to follow you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. One of my favorite things about this church is what just happened in the children's moment. I love how after the offering is collected and it's brought forward and we sing the doxology and we pray, Amy plays that little diddle, and it never fails that somebody gets up from their seat and they all come to the chancel before the invitation is actually extended. I also love how on Wednesday nights, it's not uncommon to see barefoot or socked children running in and out of the social hall and up and down the hallways. Some have even started to refer to them as feral church children. <laughs> and I can't wait for the day when my own child is one of those children. It truly is magical to see, as this church is theirs and they know it. I suspect.
except young Jesus was one of these feral church children running through the synagogue in Nazareth, much like our children run and play here in this space. I suspect that synagogue felt like a second home to Jesus, where he sat on the steps as a child, and where he heard the ancient words of the prophet for the first time, where his parents might place their hand on his as young Jesus was fidgety, or perhaps they would tap his shoulder when teenage Jesus fell asleep during the sermon. That synagogue must have felt like Jesus' home. And that's where we find him this morning after he's been baptized and spent that time in the wilderness. He returned to where he was raised, and he stood up to read like he normally did, like he had probably done many times before. He reads words from the prophet Isaiah that the Spirit is upon him, He proclaims good news, release to the captives, recovery of sight, liberation, and the year of jubilee. And after he finishes reading, he rolls up the scrolls and continues saying, these scriptures have now been fulfilled in your hearing. At first, the people of Nazareth, they rave about Jesus. They're proud of him as they share with one another, "Mm -hmm, that is Joseph's son. Yep, that carpenter, you know. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing? And here, I wonder if anyone ever told Jesus to know when to stop talking, when to pump the brakes. But he doesn't. He continues and reminds them that prophets don't work in their hometown, telling them the story of Elijah and Elisha. And here, things take a turn. What was once a joyous occasion becomes a tension-filled room as they start to realize this prophecy that Jesus is talking about. It isn't necessarily for them. Prophets work outside their hometowns. God's love extends beyond the borders of Nazareth. Their blood begins to boil as they realize what Jesus is saying. They'd have to include people who they would rather not. Jesus preached salvation for all, not just the people in Nazareth. And that made them angry. See, their whole lives and the lives of those before them, it hinged on this idea that they were God's chosen people, a people set apart for God's salvation. And these people, they followed certain rules and they prayed a certain way And then here comes Jesus running through the synagogue like he owns the place, telling them they are, in fact, not God's chosen people. And this gets them mad, real mad, like throw out the preacher mad. And that's what they do. They throw out the preacher, Jesus, as they attempt to throw him off a cliff. Despite the chaos of Jesus' first sermon, he somehow manages to walk away unscathed. But it's in this chaos that we learn. See, Jesus' preaching tells them something they don't want to hear and something they are willing to resist so forcefully that they jump at the opportunity to throw this man, who was one of them, raised by them, over a cliff. They realize that in order to follow his teachings, to be included in this salvation, this jubilee Joseph's son talks about, 
they have to change their ways, and they won't do it. Jesus asked his friends, the people that raised him, to change their ways and to take part in the journey alongside him. But they say no. I recently read about someone who reminds me a lot of those people in Nazareth we hear about today. Elizabeth Holmes was a bright, young Stanford dropout who created one of the fastest-growing startups in Silicon Valley. She promised investors that she had technology that could diagnose diseases and monitor medications with blood testing that only used a few drops of blood. Does this sound familiar? It was in the news um, a year ago and has been again. After a few rounds of very successful fundraising, people start to ask questions about the promises that she made to investors. People started to notice that demonstrations weren't, weren't quite what they said they were and that they never actually saw these big contracts that she had talked about. And the revenue never hit quite what it had projected to be. People got fired over raising these questions. And it's not so much the deceit that she portrayed that gets to me, though. It's how many people came to her over the course of time asking her to change her ways, to slow down, to pump the brakes. Over and over and over again, people who worked for her, people that believed in her, begged her to change her ways, but she wouldn't listen to them. She turned on them and she ran them out of town, much like Nazareth turns on Jesus and runs them out of town. I can't help but wonder how the medical industry and people's lives would have changed for the better had she been willing to change her ways. The people of Nazareth think it is them and only them that God's salvation is for. And listening to Jesus, it means changing their ways. As we journey to Jerusalem, journey to the cross with Jesus this season of Lent, aren't we too being asked to change our own ways? For many, this season of Lent marks a time when we'll give up chocolate or another food we deem unhealthy. Or perhaps it's a time when we vow to journal more, to pray more, or even read our Bibles more. But at the heart of what we're doing is changing our ways. We're asked to change them so that we can hear God, see God, experience God here on earth. Nazareth was a safe place for Jesus. It's where he was raised, after all, and it's where in Luke's gospel he begins his public ministry. It's where he extends an invitation for his people to come on the journey with him to Jerusalem, to change their own hearts. In Nazareth, we learn it's not necessarily where you start the journey you're on that matters. It's where you end. It's how your heart is changed. Mike Mather, a pastor in Indianapolis, recalls a changed heart or a changed way of thinking. He began his call as a pastor of outreach in an area of Indianapolis where the big homes that surrounded the church were once occupied by prosperous white families, were now falling apart. 
what was a white suburban neighborhood became a black inner city neighborhood in the 1950s and 60s. And one of Mike's responsibility in his new call in the 2000s was running a tutoring center because the kids in that neighborhood lacked good schools. Mike worked hard to run this center. He tirelessly recruited tutors from the congregation and from the community not quite surrounding the church, but it was hard. Eventually, Mike listened to the whispers in his ears that there must be a better way. What if, instead of seeing these people around the church as poor, we decided to ask about the gifts the church neighbors had? Lo and behold, there was a woman in the neighborhood who was already tutoring kids, and she was thrilled to have more space, a better environment to tutor them in using the church. Instead of seeing scarcity in that community, they began to see abundance. Now, he doesn't explicitly say where this new way of thinking came from, but I think God is a pretty safe bet here. Mike took a moment to listen and it fundamentally changed the ministry of his church for the better. I think all too often, we too find ourselves in Nazareth. We find ourselves being shown a different way, but we're stubborn. We ignore what we hear and throw that change off a cliff. Yet we keep being called out to. We keep being called to leave Nazareth and to continue on. In this six-week journey to Jerusalem, pay attention to what you hear, especially if it's something you'd rather not hear. Let us change from our ways where we only think about ourselves to thinking about others as we follow on Jesus' path to Jerusalem, the path where the blind see, where debts are forgiven and where the imprisoned are freed. It's a path that certainly won't be easy, but it's a path that demands change in our hearts. And it's a journey that we go on together as we follow our Redeemer, our Lord, and our Savior. Let it be so. Amen.